The rest of us, if you would turn to Second Kings, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. We had the college over last night, and we've appreciated homes that open up for them. Um, but that's an important ministry, too. And we've seen wonderful pilgrims progresses in the lives of our college age people. So Second Kings will be in chapter two. And let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we ask for your blessings on this time in your word. Thank you for your word, its precision, its timeliness. Lord, it's pertinence in these times that we are in. We thank you for real life people that are presented and very often we call them characters, but I actually believe we're more the characters. And so thank you for both loving us and leading us, demonstrating your faithfulness towards all of us. You're so Good Lord, continue to bless us in the position of our disposition, that we walk humbly before you, that we are those who care about others regarding you. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title today is, as I've been penning them, is for the purpose of just remembering Perhaps it'll be the title that you remember and not so much all of the mechanics of the sermon. But it's simple. And that basically, as you can see up there, is dealing with imitation to emulation or imitate to emulate. And I'll help draw a distinction on that so it doesn't confuse you. They're very similar in what they mean I'm a twin, and so I, to some degree, am an imitation of my brother, he an imitation of me. But uniquely in our personalities, we are not necessarily emulators of one another. He was seasoned in the Marine Corps, I was seasoned in the Lord's Army. We're different in how we have attacked things, or how we have been attacked. Imitation is that which very often we will do impressed by someone. We will begin to take on a similitude or similarity of who they are. You can see that in school. Any teachers who have stood before any classes, especially in elementary school, can see cliques form. And the cliques form based on people seeing that whom they want to imitate, they want to be near. And so there are speech patterns that are developed, thinking styles. There are certain compliances that are yielded to if you want to be a part of that clique, that gang. There are things that we can do in our elementary years that are simply trying to grab a hold of what we believe is the status 
that we want to be recognized for. And some of us have found ourselves pretty embarrassed on whom we chose to imitate. Some of that led to then what the other word means, which is emulating, meaning that no longer is there simply a distinction on perhaps a style or habit, but there is something that almost becomes indistinguishable. We take on traits or attributes, and in taking on those traits or attributes, though our personality may not necessarily change or our profile, people begin to say, huh, there's a real deep association that that person has with that other person or those other people. And so one of the things that we want to be certain of is who it is we imitate and then what ultimately that means for us in what we emulate. That, of course, I can say resoundingly as Jesus. We as members of his body are gathered here in this, which is a church, and this is a special place. It's a forum in which uniquely God gathers characters. And I use that comedically or perhaps for some of us insultingly. We are all what you would call characters. You've heard that said before. Man, what a character. We all are characters. We do things at times that are both unpredictable and not necessarily edifyingly towards others. But God, as we assemble, does a deep work on the inside of us. And people who at one point in time said, oh, well, you were like that years ago, say there's something that's different about you in this year presently. And what we want to be able to say is, I think that's Jesus that you're seeing. Do you know him? Do you know him personally? Do you know him as one who's guiding your life precisely? So what's the picture here? Elisha and Elijah have been partners in ministry. Their ministry has been prophetic. They have been picked by God to give the message from God to the people of the Lord, a people who have gone astray. Politics had everything to do with corrupting religion, losing sight of what it was they were to be about and how they were to conduct themselves. And so one of the guys we've said goodbye to in scriptures is Ahab, but he wasn't the first bad guy. He had been preceded in lineage, family linkage, all the way up to Jeroboam, and then there was Rehoboam. The kingdom, as you remember, was split. There's been some 72 years that have passed since Solomon left the scene. We have been equating that with what it means for us, a nation close to celebrating 250 years, that this would put us in about the Truman presidency. It would present us politically that kind of mindset. Not many of us remember Truman because he's now moving up, if you would, as we look back on his presidency distant from even what we're teaching these days. Most of us can go back to at least 
Reagan, most of us probably Nixon, maybe Eisenhower, some of us older ones. But my true comprehension probably would have been around Kennedy. The reason that we take you back there is to see that even in what we have, which is a splendid system of both democracy through election, we've made errors in both who has been elected and the decisions that they've made administratively over our nation. How good it would have been to have the prophetic voice in their face at a time in which they feared God and that voice was heeded. But I will say this, though I'm implying the two individuals here, the church has always had a voice. The question is, is the voice of the church echoing the heart of God with regard to what we are to be doing and how we're to do it and who we are to say in the authority vested in us through our system we vote for? Have we found ourselves doing simply what is the convenience of the politics as opposed to the conscience and conviction of the Lord upon us. These guys were convicting individuals, and they were endued with power from God to make sure that in the authority that they spoke, it would be understood, obey, or suffer the consequences. Elijah's last confrontation was a result of those who pursued him to have a change and a future outcome. And what we did see, and this was just prior to him being taken up into heaven, was a repentance of a captain and at least probably 50 of his soldiers. He saved them because he repented. How good it would be that our nation, in the political scope and sequence of division, would repent that good would come of it. How right it is for the church to never apologize for obeying the scriptures and being confident that both morality and ethics are presented here. Wholesome living, a holy means by which we, through the blood of Jesus, can present ourselves to a God who loves our company and fellowship. So we're not yet in this passage of scripture, but I wanted to give you simply a prelude or at least a revisit to why it's important that we understand the term. If you're going to emulate, you've got to as well be one who, as this says, can imitate. And the imitator isn't the person next to you. It first has to be the God that is near you, inside your heart. He's the only means by which emulation ultimately will be granted by what? His Holy Spirit. We're all uniquely different, and I love seeing the difference in all of you, as I would appreciate you as well, being able to see at some point in time a difference between me and my twin brother. But we are different. But I've discovered that through the years, he's becoming more like me spiritually, where at one time, I used to always say about him, he's more spiritual than me. But he became a Marine. 
I became a teacher. He advanced on up to the rank of colonel. I went all the way down to private. <laughs> Buck private. <laughs> because in order to increase, I needed to decrease. The Lord showed that principle. Let's take a look at the word today, capturing some of the highlights in order to understand, imitate, and emulate. And so here we go, just a really quick visit. Elijah, Elisha, walking together, going through historical lands together, Marks, visiting actually prophetic schools that they probably were the teachers at. And in this process, through the prophetic word, Elisha, his heart touched, realized that Elijah is going to go. Elijah confirms that he is going to go. The Lord has made it obvious that he's going to be caught up. And Elisha says, according to our last teaching, that I might have a double portion of what? The ministry that he had been so impressed with by God's hand upon Elijah and being invited into it, he wanted no less for himself. That's probably the best way to phrase it. He didn't want to be less in the shoes that he would fill, or better said, sandals, or the mantle that he would wear. But Elijah looked at him and said, this is a hard thing that you're asking, but nevertheless, if you see me caught up, then you shall have what you ask for. And so we left off understanding that that as well is a picture. We want the blessings of God upon our life. But our faith requires of us some hard decisions and the severity of consequences that do happen when we follow the Lord with sincerity. We are emptied. I never would have thought that in leaving education to pursue playing guitar, singing before audiences, that the Lord would redirect me for dishes and diapers in a land that was barren and foreign to me, Mexico. Who would have presumed I was destined for a golden microphone, recording contracts, traveling the world? This is in my mind. <laughs> so I'm being honest there. But I had all of the thoughts that said, contrary to what God ultimately had planned for me, and now I watch a generation coming up behind me, celebrating, not necessarily fame and fortune for them, but as a result, the riches that are coming to me because I'm wearing where I'm at presently right now. You're hearing rich stuff. You're hearing prophetic voicing. And all that you have been able to enjoy from the faces that you've seen in keyboards that have been played, drums that have been pounded, guitars that have been strummed, voicings that have come over these microphones, you're seeing an enactment of God through individuals who have in some way, some manner been inspired to imitate someone that they saw Jesus in. And as a result of that, that imitation is becoming emulation and the distinguishing difference between all of us is becoming so uniquely fine that we would say, who can make a point different than we see Jesus in all of them? We hear Jesus 
in everything that's being penned and sung. Getting back to the text. He needed to see Elijah taken up in what last week's teaching was, a fiery chariot we called the teaching Hot Wheels Cool Ride. What else did we have a part of that? <laughs> Out of sight. Very good. Thank you. Sometimes my titles get me too. I spared you from one today. The double portion of blessings that was asked for by Elijah would be hard, but all he had to do was keep his eyes open. Whatever it is that the Lord would say would be hard, but he will grant is contingent upon you having sight of him in the work that he will reveal to you. This work for Elijah was simply transition. It was transition without death. Uniquely, he's only the second person that scriptures reveal had that privilege. Enoch was the first, walked with God and was not. Elijah, satisfied ministry at 47 years of age, caught up in a fiery chariot, fiery horses, and brought up into heaven in a whirlwind, unique. And I said that according to a wonderful study that Rivs gave on that, will be to Elijah's magnificent entry into heaven by being taken up there in the blink of an eye, one billionth of a second. I mean, I'm not disputing how that would have looked, a fiery chariot and fiery horses, but I'd rather transition from here to heaven in one billionth of a second because I'm kind of a coward of heights. I just want to get there. I just want to be there. So this event happened, and the mantle falls, and Elisha picks it up, and in the picking of it up, he tests out what he had seen from his mentor, Elijah. He smacks the river and calls out to God. The Jordan parts, and in so doing, he walks back course on now his obligation and responsibility to take him through hard situations in being a messenger of the Lord and to do so with the integrity that he had learned from his mentor, Elijah. Nevertheless, were the words that he heard, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Jesus made an appearance following his execution on Calvary, his entombment in the garden. And when he appeared on the third day, and when he counseled where his disciples ought to meet him, and ultimately where the church would be birthed, they needed to be there. And those in that ship on a given day, when Jesus came to visit his disciples, two saw him. One so excitingly, he pitched his clothes, dove into the surf, and was the first to be served breakfast on the shore. They met with Jesus 
because they realized that in whom they had followed those three plus years, they were closer now to being emulators of him than simply those who were what we said before, imitators. The word's not to be apologized for. Paul uses that word, imitation. And we'll look at that scripture. But because he was there, the double blessing was his. Because you are here, the double blessing is yours. Okay, well, what does that mean? I can't tell you what it means. I'm not God. But I am confident that the principle is true. Whenever you have a choice of being in the presence of God and in the company of God's people, you can be most assured that whatever it is that is upon your heart shall be met out by God according to his will in his perfect timing. What does that mean? I can't tell you that. I was confident I'd be married by 21. I didn't get married till I was 38. But I lost my hair at 21. Didn't expect that. I have a lesser shampoo bill than you do. I guess I'm more blessed. But this is the principle that's being basically taught here. And notice this too as I simply back up. When Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the waters and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry land. Remember that when this chariot came down, it also divided them. The principle, and we'll find this out, he says, when I'm taken away from you, again, ask what you will, but you got to be there to see it. And then he is taken away from him and it says that it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot, this is what we've been talking about, appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. So there's a principle actually being taught here. What's separating them is not divisiveness. It is not division. Paul had to address that to the First Corinthian, or in First Corinthians, to the church in Corinthia. And that's one of the things we need to be very mindful of, that the enemy works to provoke and cause division within the church. It should not happen. There may be separation, may it be by his spirit only, in which God gives a directive, and that's when you find yourself needing to go, both in peace and with blessings. There's too much warfare within the church and it's a sad thing because we're family and it shouldn't exist. Even Paul would probably say in the last course of his years of living where he and Barnabas were decidedly contrary to one another concerning one man, John Mark. It was at the end when he said, hey, would you please bring John Mark with you when you come to visit me? He was in prison. John Mark was one that he basically said, I'm not going on any other missionary journey if you're bringing him. And Barnabas would say, he's a good man. He's a young man. He's a young man, but he's a good man. He's of great value to us. I'm not going to do it. And so Barnabas and Paul divided over their opinion about one person. That can happen in a church as well. And it shouldn't be. It does. The enemy knows how to provoke and cause separation. 
that's not necessarily the spirit. It's out of frustration. When we're imitating and when we become those who emulate, we become really undivisive. We become actually those who unite others in the Lord. So this event has happened. The men, younger men, very likely from the schools that had been established in at least three locations we looked at, had come back on the scene. And they were proving to be a frustration to Elisha because they were essentially saying, the spirit of Elijah rests on you, Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. There's a principle there, honoring both a spirit-filled man and one who in particular would carry the word of God. There's a man up in Canada who's a pastor, and he's getting a Canadian smackdown regularly because he's not being honored for the convictions of teaching the word of God. During COVID, he was being told to shut down the church. He said, I'm not shutting down the church. With regard to right now the position that the Canadians are holding, which is this gender neutrality or this third gender, he's saying, that's not true. There's two. The Bible presents two, man, woman. There's not gender neutrality. There's not a third gender. And he's getting arrested because he's challenging Canada's philosophy it's a corrupt philosophy. That could happen to us as well as that particular aspect is being promoted errantly, immorally. That even teachers would be not employed any longer because we will not confuse ourselves with gender terminology. I taught English as a subject, one of at least eight. And if I had to then work to figure out how I would not insult people over pronouns, I could tell you I'd be walking out. He meets up, and this is where we'll head to, not only those young men who were saying, Look for him. Let us look for him. And Elisha was saying very clearly, that's not necessary. You know he was caught up in the spirit. And he's not on some mountain that we need to find him. He is in heaven where we will meet him someday. And they persist. And it says that in their persisting to have a scouting party. They urged him in verse 17 till he was ashamed and he said, send them. Therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days but did not find him. It reminds me of kind of what happened in the time in which Jesus three days in the earth would arise and come out. And there was such disbelief that it merged both in contrary terms of the church. Where did he go? Who stole him? Who would do such a thing when he had said he would arise in three days? You need to know as well in this picture 
that Jesus is alive, he arose from the dead, did nothing less than exactly what he had foretold he would do, and he is the one that you point people to when they're in doubt, where do I find God? Where can you tell me my life will be better? Give me counsel. Give me purpose and reason. I'll give you the purpose. You were created by God to know him, to love him, to serve him. That's your purpose. Well, how do I serve him? I don't know. How about coming to church? Well, what do I get to do? How about just worshiping him? Do you realize that just worshiping God is an act of serving the Lord? For years, that's all I did. That's all I wanted to do. The rest became add-ons because God was giving increase because I was imitating him by following those who knew him more closely than I did. And the rest then became emulation, becoming more and more closely knitted with him. My Bible is the size that it is because I was impressed with the man who taught from a Bible. I had this big giant NASB. It would probably take two of these to hold it. And I thought, this is really cumbersome and it kind of looks ridiculous in my hands. I'm a small guy and I got a Bible almost bigger than me. And so as I was watching one whom I sat under being taught by, I said, I like that size Bible. It's looking like he's got it in the palm of his hand. It looks as though it's an easier thing to take around. And this particular size is a difficult one. A lot of the kids now, because they have better eyes than I do, they go thin line. I didn't want a thin line. I pursued a Bible that imitated a Bible of a man that I learned the word from. And so I've had this quite a few years now, some 22. Leather's getting chafed. I think it's gonna last till the Lord returns. But this man clings to his assurance that Elijah's in heaven, but he buckles under the weight of pressure. You gotta let us do it. You gotta let us do it. You gotta let us do it. And it says to that degree, he just felt shamed. The idea actually is he was being put to shame. Not so much that he felt ashamed on his conviction, he was being put to shame. What is happening in these days? People are being put to shame for their faith in the Lord. Kirk Cameron, wonderful young man, older man. He was in a TV program years ago. Don't remember which one it is, but he was a very influential young man. His sister's a very influential young woman. They're in their, I believe, 40s right now. But they were high-profile young people who stayed in the grip of God. And by convictions, they stay in the grip of God. And they're having challenges right now and being smacked down, put to shame for their convictions about where they are in Hollywood and not yielding. She has now a production company in which she will not tolerate confusion 
over God's presentation of marriage, man and woman, and she's getting smack talk. But by her convictions and those who are truly believers who want to see her do well, she's now having rival productions, which for a while she was highly sought after for Hallmark movies. She's got her own production company in which she doesn't corrupt the belief of what the scriptures say. Kirk is making library tours right now. Why is he infiltrating libraries? Because they should be safe zones for education and enrichment. And they've become pits of carnality with transgenders, men dressing up like women and reading storytime books to them. He's taking on an enemy of the church and an enemy of God. Those men can be changed if they would listen to Jesus. But it's a warfare very similar to what Elijah went through and endured and what Elisha will go through. He'll be much more noted for very personal miracles in people's lives. Elijah actually will have a very strong, stout ministry. Elijah moves into heaven at age 47, and Elisha will live to about the age of 95. He's just getting started at age 32 right now. Some of you are in that age of just getting started, and you've got good prospects ahead of you, and I would say limited, because I do believe the time of the Lord's return is irrefutably drawing nigh, in which we will be caught up. What's the last thing that you would have wanted coming off of your mouth to the ears of somebody who may have said in that exchange, I believe I want to follow you. I believe I want to have what it is you have in the Lord. It goes on to say that Elisha moves in the power of the Spirit, the double portion that was given to him. It says that as he moves into this, we're going to close just slightly after 19. The men of the city said to Elijah, please notice the situation of this city. It's pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. So Elijah has had shame put upon him, but he moves out of it and he moves forward into something else. When you're ashamed for the sake of the gospel, you move away from that shame. You don't have to be ashamed. You move on to the next place. He does. Water's bad. Land's barren. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. Jesus said that from our innermost being would flow torrents of living water. What's it for? It's for the quenching of the thirsty soul. It's for restoration of the barren body. I don't know how he does it. I just know he does it. We find in some manner that he's added salt to us in our life, our disposition, 
He takes us, and with the reservoir of water that flows from us, no longer is that barrenness an excuse for anyone. No longer is that thirstiness being quenched by any other thing than the pursuit of God through the Word of God. It's pretty amazing. I don't know how he does it. Sometimes I'm just a garden hose, and sometimes I'm a fire hydrant, but he's doing it, and I know that he's doing it. And I know that I, in the same way, have been refreshed, replenished by those who I'm hanging out with in the body of Christ because he's doing that work through you as well. It's awesome. We're getting doused continually. And sometimes the Lord has to remind us by sending these storms. Do you feel my water? Do you feel the flow? Are you flowing? And sometimes we say, I'm getting nuisanced by the water. And the Lord would say, ah, don't do that. Change your perception. And so the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of the Lord that was given to Elisha as he spoke. Verse 23, and then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head. I love this scripture. Give such honor. We hear that all the time. The thing that is good about this generation for me is that bald is beautiful. It's become cool. Some of you guys with hair, you can't pull it off. Only we who are genuinely bald can pull it off because the, God, the Lord God has made this a cool thing now. I'd still opt for hair, but the Lord has allowed it to be a cool thing. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. They're mocking him for what they know they've heard about Elijah. They're mocking him for the double portion that he has. They're mocking him actually for bringing fresh water to them, their city, from the Lord. They're mocking him. Notice what he does in a disciplinary action. And so he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. I had only one time in my professional teaching career class of 42. And I wish I had at that time two bears because I was only in my second year of teaching. But all I was given was an aid to handle the paperwork and the disciplinarian aspects of teaching. They were a good class. In fact, some of them have kept track of me all of these years but it was a whopping class of 42. I actually had a harder time in a class of 16 at a Christian school in which some of the most ungodly treatment of a teacher that could ever happen was directed at me. Because <laughs> God had to show me, this is what you're going to be looking forward to. I'm going to make it only 16. I'll give you a couple that will admire you. The rest will detest you. And that was the longest nine months of my life. Chrissy said, I did that four times with having kids. <laughs> then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. The story closes where he goes back to the high point of a beginning in which Elijah took a test from God and challenged, if you would, the culture in which the worship of Baal was abominable 
And that was the time, as I said last week, in which he uttered these great words. How long will you waver between two opinions? You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve Baal. But that you might know, he taunts the religious false priests. He says, do whatever you want. Maybe your God is indisposed right now. Go on. They cut themselves. They screamed. And ultimately, it came to the point where the showdown was. This is what we're going to do. If God is indeed God, and he hears my voice, and by fire takes this offering on this altar, you will know. And they did find out. And they did find out. And the world will find out. And there is a fiery judgment that is pending. But grace right now is in place. That the fire of God is by the Spirit of God intended to dwell in the heart of men. God's not interested in incinerating a generation yet, or two, or three, until the last person has chosen to accept the beautiful work and provision of God through his Son. This is a wonderful testimony. I'll give you a couple of passages that you can look up to, I think, both be anchored in. First of all, pray for the church generally. Pray specifically for your church personally. You should. You should be asking, Lord, fill this place. We have some 200 chairs here. We were close to having that plus before COVID hit. What happened? Well, there was a foothold given. There were hearts that were changed. There were people that learned to get comfortable away from a place in which, ooh, the contaminable might happen. They take communion every week. Somebody's touching my cup. I don't have safe distance. I want a row, not six feet. You could have a row if you want. Never held that against people. But see, something did happen. That's a fact of the matter right now with regard to the church. Time to summon the church. Time to call people. And I do, and it's a blank face, and it's a hollowed voice. Division has been provoked and caused. We need to ask the Lord. Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. It's ripe. Send workers. But actually the work is in the person that you and I are to be praying for a repristinating of the mind and of the heart and of a commitment to the things of God. So important. But the first verse that I'll give you is that there's no division. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. He went through divisive times. If you look that up, you'll see it's a principle. The only thing that should divide a church is the will of God worked out in an act of obedience in which there is a migration, transition, because God is in it. We've been the recipients of people that have been moved here by God's Spirit. Hopefully, nobody's been moved here to cause or provoke a division within the body. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 11, one is the phrase, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the famous passage that you've heard. Paul penned it to the Corinthian church. When you find somebody 
who is indeed imitating Christ, you will know with certainty based on the checks in your Bible that that is a person that can influence you. So if you're being influenced by media, then I would suggest you close the pages of that influence and you open the pages of this influence, period. Because you know what? They're finding they can't keep up on their persona. They can't continue to live in a state of seemingly projected perfection. They're falling. They're dying. Because there's no longer the possibility of torrents of living water, they're always trying to come up with another way to present themselves to an audience that will leave them as soon as somebody else comes on the scene to impress them. Jesus remains the same today and yesterday and forever. He never has to get better because he's perfect. And we never have to do more than to be simply following him. Luke 12, verses 48, you can continue on with it, but the phrase that you would be able to embrace is this, to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus gives a parallel and comes out of a parable and the essence of that is saying, life is hard, God is good, but in this, you've been given much. Expect to be required to do much. And really, if you just say, I'm going to pray more diligently, more specifically, I'm going to pray more expectantly, let the Lord have then his way with you. In closing, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says with regard to ultimately what he will allow you to do is to do greater works than he is credited with doing. John closes his book saying, if the world were available as a library shelf, the books that could contain even what he did remotely wouldn't be sufficiently stored on this planet. That's how much God did. And Jesus would say, even more and greater things you will do. Those are references for you in this teaching, imitate to emulate. Prayerfully, both of those things are being done in your life right now. And prayerfully, you're seeing that influence encourage you to the next footstep, to the next Bible study, to the next song, to the next gifting that God gives you to employ.